welcome to episode two of the Salesforce Posse podcast recorded on the 31st of May. And today we're going to be talking all about the Salesforce Summer 19 release. That's right. My name is Francis Pinder from Net Stronghold. And I'm Anoop Jadhav from Azure Underwriting Limited. Before we start, so uh, I'd like to thank everybody who gave us constructive criticism yep. and which mostly, is the best which is the best type I like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and positive feedback for our uh, first episode yeah so uh, it was not entirely a damp squib it wasn't and no. actually I thought that we'd only get the five people listening your parents my parents and Gerald we met down the pub after that's the it. recording that's it but actually we didn't and you don't actually know how many people I don't no shall we have a look yeah yeah that stats. actually looked at it recently drum roll <laughs> Oh, 269 downloads. Wow, wow. At this rate, I think by episode three, we'll be more popular than Justin Bieber. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Admittedly, yeah, that is just downloads and probably nobody listened to it. They just downloaded it. <laughs> but just, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so summer 19 release. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to start with my... So the, this episode is all about our favorite features um, in summer 19, the focus being dev features, obviously. So I'll start with my favorite uh, feature that I'm looking forward to when Summer 19 goes live is the uh, maximum size of debug log. Uh, they've increased that from 5 MB to 20 MB. That is good. That's great. So that means that logs won't be truncated because 5 MB is really not sufficient. I do remember. I can't remember. It was, it was 2 megs. Oh, yeah, was it? Yeah, okay. and I remember a lot of pain of juggling log levels to yep. try and figure, and it was Very quite much. a while ago. But Especially yeah. if you have uh, managed packages that are large, like financial force or oh, velocity yeah, and things like true. that, then there's no hope for finding <laughs> anything. It'll be like, oh, it's truncated, but that's good. It's 20 MB, and I didn't know this, there was this limit that uh, you could only generate up to 250 MB in a 15-minute window, so they've increased that to 1,000 really? MB. Yeah, I, I didn't know, know that. Nope. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is great. I'm quite excited about it. But I do think that it's still not sufficient. You know, when it comes to debug logs, we uh, it's Salesforce has always been quite lightweight in terms of how we log things. It has to be initiated by the developer. We have to if problems occur in production, mm. we have to enable it for a certain user, then yeah. track it or ask them to do the certain uh, same action again, rather than just looking at a, a log file somewhere, which we are used to doing in other environments like Java, .NET, and stuff mm. like that. But I had this idea, and uh, I couldn't implement it because I didn't have, have access to some of the native APIs that were mm. required to, to make this work. And we do have debug logs, which developers use a lot. But, and we also have event monitoring, which is part of the Salesforce Shield offering. Mm -hmm. So event monitoring gives you a bit more around, yep. you know, uh, you can track user events, uh, you can track uh, visual force pages and all of that stuff. So I had an idea to kind of uh, merge the two things and provide one functionality. Mm. So, and if anybody from the product team, hi Andy, is listening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is listening, listening in. So the idea is, is something what I call a log stream. Mm. And it should be a combination of debug logs and event monitoring and more. And the way I see it is it's something that you enable and it kind of captures everything in your org for that day and you can access that log stream to, to review the activities happening in that org. 
Yeah. So, uh, so you know, it's it'll be so powerful where we can we don't have to kind of look at debug logs separately or audit logs separately and event monitoring. Everything is in one place and we could have different dials or settings which could say don't track managed packages or don't track certain events or something like that. We just enable it and then it keeps on track to, uh, tracking things in the background and if something fails we just kind of go to that log table, log stream table, or Or even just pushing it into Splunk or something like exactly. that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, or yeah. just output it to some other external system like Splunk where we can uh, react to these things uh, more proactively, if you know what I mean. And it's, it's such a no-brainer, and it's required for, for... I mean, I've come across situations where it would have been so useful if we'd known what was happening. I think, yeah, especially for those kind of like edge cases... And actually, I've got a issue at the moment which that would be incredibly useful for, mm-hmm. where it only happens every now and again. It doesn't. You can't replicate it. It's not the same record, yeah. you know, replicating every time, and it's just very hard to debug. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Log stream, but uh, I don't think we can build something externally. But isn't there a streaming log thing anyway? So that's that's part of the event monitoring thing. Event monitoring, event monitoring. and that's and that's a paid feature that you have to buy Shield license to use event monitoring. Oh, of course yeah. it is, isn't it? And it was in real time. Uh, it's, yeah, it was delayed. I think it's, re- didn't the last release, they reduced the time window. It now, was 24 hours and it reduced down, didn't it's it? It's now real time for some 19. Oh, so really? You, yeah, oh, you okay. can do it real time, but it's beta. Wow, It's okay. beta, but then, again, these are two different things doing two different things and you have to enable them. Yeah, you have to buy okay. additional license, uh, which, you know, if smaller companies will only then rely on debug logs to resolve issues. And we know uh, with Lightning Experience, we've been seeing some unexplained errors. <laughs> It'd be quite useful to just, you know, say, oh, okay, this was a platform error versus a user error versus a developer error. So uh, I- I'd definitely pay for it if such a feature is available yeah. in one place. It's so useful. So, so yeah, that's debug logs is my favorite feature. Um, so the next one that I really like is the Aura components and Lightning Web components enhancements that they keep doing. And the first amongst them is you can finally make long-running callouts with continuations from a Aura component or Lightning component. So do you know about continuations? I, I asked it, actually. Oh, I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't say that. I asked it in a question for a developer. Yeah. That I was looking to interview. Yeah. But actually, last week, week four. And he didn't know what it was. So explain what continuations are. Okay. Uh, so we have this limit where we can't have more than 10 concurrent long-running callouts from Visual Force or from uh, Component. Uh, so And long-running means more than five seconds. So Celsius introduced in Spring 15 something called as asynchronous callouts, uh, which uses the continuations pattern. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to make these long-running callouts asynchronously. So continuations will uh, make the callout, and then you forget about it, and then there would be a callback method. Once the callout's finished, it'll call that callback method, and you can process stuff. So you could only do that with Visual Force when it was launched in Spring 15, and now you can do it with... Lightning components. Yeah, it's cool. exciting. So, yeah. Uh, but obviously, there are limits. You can do up to three callouts per continuation, and uh, you can't do D- perform DML operation in a, continuation, in a method that uh, returns a continuation object. Which I think is similar to Visual Force, anyway, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite yeah. similar. So, that's that. So, quite excited, excited about that. 
You can also use L uh, Lightning Web Components in more places, in Aura apps, in Visual Force pages, and also add it to Lightning Out. What else, uh, what about you? Uh, what's kind of on your radar? Yeah, so for me, um, I think it, it's Salesforce Connect support for CDC. Okay. Um, um, I use kind of Connect. Actually, I did a talk at Dreamforce about Connect um, mm -hmm. many years ago, and it didn't support. So Salesforce Connect allows you to connect to an external repository or internal. Uh, and bring data into your Salesforce org without it persisting in the org. But to the users, so it looks like... You don't use the, the data storage? No, so you're not using data storage in Salesforce per se. Um, but when a user searches in Salesforce, it's going off searching that external data uh, resource. It could be you know, Oracle database, SQL Server, whatever it is that's OData compatible, and then brings that data back into Salesforce, mm -hmm. and they can perform actions on it, so update it or create a new record depending on how you know, the uh, database what, or the OData data source supports, which is great because, you know, if you've got, you know, millions of invoices stored in an SAP solution, you don't yeah. want to have them all stored in Salesforce. But that was the only traditional way of doing exactly, it, right? Yeah. You use the ETL tool, bring that, bring the whole thing inside yeah. of Salesforce. Or it's a Visual Force page yeah. that does a call out or whatever, you yeah. know, a mashup. Um, but yeah, so now it makes it brilliant because the users don't know it's any other you know yeah. object, and you've got you know some similar functionality to and regular custom objects. And these objects are called external objects, yeah. right? And the, yeah, yeah, these are external objects. But now what they support is uh, CDC, uh, which is basically OData triggers, mm -hmm. which essentially is is when the record changes in your OData data source that essentially triggers. Salesforce Apex triggers within Salesforce, so you can perform action. So this this is actually quite interesting because I think this is related to another feature that I'm quite excited about, which is the asynchronous Apex triggers. Ah, yeah. So basically, you know, when you write a trigger, yeah, it kind of runs synchronously. Uh, we are all familiar with the order of execution. We don't have to go through that again. <laughs> uh, uh, and go. No. <laughs> no, no. no so, uh, so you know. Uh, Apex triggers run synchronously, but in this release, and I think this is quite a game changer, they've introduced asynchronous Apex triggers. They're calling it process change event messages and Apex triggers. Of course, because that makes sense, and it, it rolls off the tongue. Uh, yeah, obviously, <laughs> right? Yeah. So what that means is uh, you can write trigger on change events. So you could write a trigger on for account. It's called account change event. Right. And what that does is if an account changes, it publishes that change event. And you can write a trigger on that after insert, on after insert context for that change event. What that gives you is that if you have resource intensive processing that processes thousands of records, mm. uh, you can do that asynchronously. And then it improves the user experience because the user is not waiting. So let's say if you've updated a contact and that somehow triggers an update to all of the related contacts which could be hundreds or whatever, uh, you know, the cascading effect would mean if you're doing this synchronously, the process will take a long time. Hmm. But you could choose to kind of do this asynchronously by writing a trigger in the contact change event. And you can do that for custom objects. And I think that you can, because uh, the stuff that you mentioned with CDC, hmm. you can do this on the external objects. Oh, okay. So the two things kind of are related. Is there any limits around this? Because essentially, because the only way you would have done that out on the platform before would be using a future call, for example, in a trigger. Correct. Um, which obviously has limits. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm assuming with this, 
doesn't have the same limits. No, it doesn't because you're basically writing a trigger on a separate object, which is a change event object. Right. Ah, okay. But then it's related to the changes happening to that object. So you oh, can, God, you, yeah. You still, okay. still get the context for yeah, that yeah. change, but it's done asynchronously. It's okay. kind of... So it's basically disconnect between your, yeah. Yeah, the object that's being triggered and mm-hmm. your trigger that you've put on the... Uh, that object, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you, you, can, you can do resource-intensive business logic asynchronously, uh, but then you can keep the transaction-based logic in the actual trigger. So you know, you something that you want to be done synchronously that's yeah. dependent, you can keep it in there. So your trigger trigger is lean, mean, um, yeah. <laughs> but you can do all of the resource-intensive in, stuff asynchronously. So that's that's kind of quite quite interesting. Cool. Yeah. So that's triggers, and uh, I think this will again be a, a game changer in how we implement business logic. Yeah, definitely. But one of the things that I was surprised about is that uh, when I saw this, this this is an update to Visual Force. Good heavens, no! <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> so that Salesforce is giving us mixed signals. And they want to phase out Visual Force, but they also want to do updates to that. So I found this gem which says that uh, this, they're introducing a new uh, component called Live Controller. And it's a standard Visual Force component that dynamically re-renders when the uh, and to display changes to data in real time. It's okay. quite similar to Lightning components using the Lightning data service to dynamically render the display. Right, okay. So I guess they're bringing some of that functionality in Visual Force. Yeah. Which kind of uh, makes yeah. sense because, you know, Visual Force is not going away. There's so many, I don't know, a billion Visual Force pages out there still, so people still want to maintain this. And this will probably help improve the... Not probably. This will help improve the user experience yeah, in that yeah. sense. So... So yeah, just thought I should mention that. And finally, I think from from my side, I have, and this is this has been my favorite feature for a long time, which is named credentials. Do you know uh, what that does? Uh, roughly, yeah, yeah. So when you make a call out from Apex, you have to do a certain number of things, like you have to set the endpoint, and then you have to set the authentication method. You have to. Uh, if it's username, password, you're basically, uh, unless you use custom settings or something like that, you're kind of referring to the username and password inside of your code. And so then what's you the problem with that? Set the header. <laughs> <laughs> of course, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to do all of that inside of your code. And if you're doing that in multiple places, you have to repeat, repeat it. Obviously, you can have a common class uh, extracted, but then it's still uh, inside of code. So name credential is a clever way of uh, kind of separating that concern out. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, when you define a name credential, you specify URL, right. you specify the authentication method. So it could be username, password, OAuth, and all of that stuff. And then what you do is when you set the endpoint in Apex, you just kind of set the endpoint to that name credential and everything else is taken care of. Oh, okay. yeah. So it's quite clever. It's quite maintainable because of the URL changes. You just have to change in one place. You can also have different URLs for different environments, but then you deploy the name credential because it's deployed as a metadata. Right. So it's very useful and people should be using that more. And oh, one more benefit of that, if you create a name credential, then you don't have to specify remote site settings for that external URL. Oh, it's it's included, yeah, yeah. Yeah, name credential takes care of that. Uh, What they didn't have till now was, uh, well, they were supporting username, uh, password, and uh, OAuth. Now they've introduced uh, JWT as well. So you can use JSON Web Tokens as an authentication protocol. So they're expanding the the authentication protocols that are supported by name credentials. 
I think it's it's a great new uh, name credential. It's awesome, and uh, it's it makes your code maintainable and more, more secure. secure. Yeah, that's right. So so yeah, that's that's kind of my favorite stuff from Summer 19. I don't know if there's anything else you want yeah, to do. Yeah, so I actually saw, which is quite an interesting, and you know, Salesforce are constantly kind of um, innovating and kind of pushing the code away yeah. more and more and more. Yeah. And, that, and I noticed that actually they've brought in Apex building blocks for Lightning Flow, which oh. is quite interesting. Now, I haven't used it yet. I okay. just had a look at it. But um, essentially what it's saying is you can expose, say, a REST endpoint in some Apex code, okay. but then expose that into the flow yeah. to allow a user to determine what part of the JSON payload coming back from that endpoint that they want to consume okay. and populate. So essentially, you're kind of doing the code for connecting to the REST REST endpoint mm -hmm. and getting that JSON payload back. But then an admin could then create a flow off the back of that and choose the fields or the data within that JSON payload to store or do whatever they want to do with it. So will this allow the admin to set up integration without writing code? Is that so where this is going? I think this is where this is going, okay. yeah. Although at the moment, yeah, you still need to write the Apex code okay. to do that. But yeah, it's you can see it's definitely going that way, yeah. Yeah. which makes things very interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, more clicks, less code makes it more maintainable. More flows, more flow intervals, more limits. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's 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 keep flow out of this. <laughs> <laughs> more flow fun. Yes. Flow fun. Yes, flow fun. Um, okay, so that's that's kind of. I mean, we can talk about. Uh, summer 19 all day long. There's I think just could, so yeah. many things in there that uh, that's kind of taking the platform to the next level. I mean, we haven't even touched on Einstein's services. We haven't talked about uh, a lot of stuff that's happening on the deployment side because, yeah. you know, otherwise this will be just four hours of us talking about the Summer 19 release. But we'll put a link out to some of the interesting stuff in our show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Uh-oh. Yeah. So on the list of remaining classic to Lightning feature parity uh, that's yet to be implemented in Lightning, which ones are you least interested in seeing implemented in Lightning? Least like, oh my. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, mm -hmm. it's going to be manual sharing. I think I'm going to go with manual sharing. Really? Yeah. What's that? It's just a pain to audit. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. Like, lots of people are using Lightning now. Mm -hmm. They're not using manual sharing. They're co totally, you know, I don't know, a bit more of a sticklet of knowing exactly how records are being shared between people. And because manual sharing is just users could create their own manual sharing across multiple records, sharing them across, you know, I just, for me, it just gives me the willies. But doesn't it take the flexibility away of a very complex use case where you can't share it via role hierarchy vertically or uh, using sharing settings when it falls outside of scope? Uh, yeah. Then I, you, the only option I, you'd have is writing Apex managed sharing. Absolutely, is, and that is the route I would go. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think I know. As yeah, I know, biased, I know, but, I know. Devils in the detail, and I know. Yes, but the thing is, I think you've still got that element of. I still don't know who's sharing what. Yeah. And actually with external objects, you mm -hmm. can report on your manual sharing. Really? 
Yes. How does that work? So um, basically, um, with external objects, yeah. actually I did talk at Dreamforce, and actually there's a talk, London's Calling, somebody, I think Don did a talk about the same thing. But essentially, you can create a custom Apex control, uh, controller yeah. for your external objects. Mm-hmm. Use that rather than calling out to a REST endpoint. And then basically, whatever Apex has access to, so has your external object. So essentially, you could expose all the data and fields that you can't access through reporting through an external object and then you report on the external object. Oh, that's clever. So then you can basically then report on manual showing or deleted there you go. deleted records and things like that. So, but yeah, that means that you've got to need a license and you also, yeah. I do, I do understand where if the users have the option then, and we can't track it in real time, then it can get messy. Yeah. So I can feel that. And I think it also depends on, you know, the business, you know, if you're working in a regulated industry versus not and, you know, things like this. So, yeah. Um, How about you? Are there there any things that, you know, you? No? No. No. I mean, I think uh, from my point of view, I would like everything that we have in in Classic to be in Lightning only because Lightning is supposed to be Classic++ in my mind. Uh, So So what about Undelete? What about Undelete? It's an interesting one. Because so. I, I, I find that a lot of developers do not write triggers for Undelete. That's true. Yeah. And That's so true. if you have, and when you do an Undelete, yeah. the record suddenly reappears. And potentially, if you've got logic that's fired and recalculated, it's now not using that record to recalculate. But that I think that's more of lack of design proofing than, uh, than a platform What's the word I'm looking for? Then a platform defect. I mean, undelete could be useful if you uh, if your users actually accidentally delete something. It could be a very it could be a lifesaver from my point of view. But you, you're able to undelete it. But, but wouldn't right. it be better to use a backup tool and therefore you bypass the need for an undelete and therefore you know the triggers are going to fire. I agree. But how many customers you worked with over the last ten or twelve years? that kind of actively have a backup solution in place? I don't know. Maybe yeah. a lot more now than they did last <laughs> month. Oh, yeah. Um, isn't that a topic for our next podcast? I think that'll be a topic, topic for the next, next podcast. podcast. Yeah. We'll talk in detail about that. But I'm sure now there'll be a lot more. Mm. But uh, my general observation has been that for the right reasons, they do rely on Salesforce for not losing their data. And they kind of... Yeah, I think so as well, they, yeah. The, the only time they expect the data to be deleted is through user action. And undelete can be a lifesaver in that instance, assuming that you undelete in that time frame where you can mm. delete. And I think a lot a lot of orgs, well, I've worked with, also don't allow delete. Yeah. You know, it's just not an option. But what should be done is if they do bring undelete into Lightning, uh, they should kind of remind developers that somehow, I don't know, whether by documentation, trailhead, or even kind of a banner saying, make sure you take care of undelete scenarios. So you mean Lightning's been out for how many years and we've had how many years worth of developers not writing undelete triggers in Lightning because it doesn't support it and now it suddenly appears. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I see your point of view. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
On the other side, on the features that are not coming coming over to Lightning, which one would you miss? What would I miss? I think so. They're not fully implementing advanced currency management. Really? So yeah, which I was a bit surprised about. Did they officially confirm that? Well, it's still in the list as okay. they're not going to fully support it. So I don't know why, unless they've got something else that's coming or, you know, to replace it. But yeah, oh, that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I'm surprised as well, because currency management is quite core to a lot of their customers. So uh, I'd be surprised if they don't do this. Okay, yeah, so here's the documentation on it. And it basically says, although dated exchange rates aren't supported in Lightning Experience and Salesforce apps, some limited functionality is available, opportunities to play the correct amount if the close date field is on the page layout for opportunities. Because page layouts control who sees what object records, only users who have this page layout assigned to them see the correct amount. Otherwise, the amount shown reflects the original amount before a dated exchange rate was applied. Okay. Which is a bit bizarre. It is, yeah. Well, it's a one to keep an eye on. So we'll see how that kind of evolves once users start using more of that in Lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do want to do... Um, so I, I, I guess that's the end of the episode for us. Yeah, that's it. Say, yeah, Enough. Uh, Enough. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's it. Uh, but I do want to shout out to, uh, I mean, obviously, everybody should uh, read the entire summer release notes, summer 19 release notes. You know, it's mandatory for all developers. <laughs> but, all the, but if you don't fancy yeah. that, there is a abridged version of it oh, really? on the Salesforce Reddit channel. Ah. So there is a SFDX or SDFX.io group. Mm -hmm. um, and they've created, they, they've started creating this abridged version of uh, release notes. And they're quite funny uh, to me <laughs> as well. So I would uh, definitely recommend. We'll put a link, so if we'll you put a link in the show notes for that should, as well. Definitely. Yeah. And I'll also put a link to the Discord group uh, that kind of creates those, these release notes oh, cool. in the show notes. So if you don't fancy reading the entire release notes like us, like you know, we've obviously read it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. So if you don't fancy that, then I would definitely check out the abridged version of that. Cool. Okay. Right. So, and that is it for this podcast. So, so long. Thank you. Thanks all. Thanks for listening. Oh, and don't forget to review us on iTunes if you're using iTunes. Yes, please. Uh, and please, five out of five. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>